Welcome to the ministry of the International Christian Assembly in Southeast Spain. We are here for the purpose of worshipping God and reaching others with love. We pray that as you listen, you will be inspired and challenged in your walk with God. Morning everyone. And we were talking just before the service. Um, I think for a lot of people, they sort of feel the last 18 months, two years have been... Um, They've all been difficult for all of us. For some people, they think that they were the worst years ever. Uh, I I really don't uh, contribute to that opinion. I think that there are lots of good things uh, that have come out of the last couple of years. And certainly one of them has been the opportunity that we've had to see people again that we haven't seen for a long time. Isn't that right? One of the things that we've done is we've drank more coffee, meeting friends, and uh, it's just been wonderful to catch up. Just before Christmas, um, we started off on the Republic of Ireland church planting in 1975. The first family that joined us there, we met up with them just before Christmas, and we were sharing things that had happened in our family. And they were saying about their grandchildren, and how many lessons we can learn from them. And they were saying that one of their grandchildren, as they were waiting for Christmas, Advent, the coming of Christmas, um, had set out for Santa the milk, the Christmas cake, the mince pies, then a carrot for Rudolph or whoever, and then had put a storybook of Jesus And when the mom asked the child, why had she done that? She said, well, I just wanted Santa to know that it wasn't all about him. (laughs) Isn't that just brilliant? And then they've been talking about the second coming of Jesus. Because sometimes we forget that Advent simply means coming. And uh, they were in town. And suddenly they they heard a brass band and and they noticed this child running around, looking up everywhere. They said, what are you doing? And he said, I heard the trumpet, so I'm looking for Jesus. And I thought, the child has a greater faith and expectation than many of us who've been Christians for many years. And the one thing about the early church that we can say is, they had an incredible hope present with them every day that the Lord Jesus was coming again. And really that's what I want to talk about this morning. If you go to the Bible, you discover one of the great prayers at the end of Paul's letter to the Corinthians was Maranatha, Aramaic, still in the Aramaic language. And that prayer was, oh Lord, come, but it also could mean the Lord has come, the Lord will come, oh Lord, come. What a prayer. Proclamation, the Lord has come. Prediction, the Lord will come. Prayer, oh Lord, come. And I started to think about Matthew chapter 24. The Lord Jesus is just about to go to the cross. He is leaving the temple for the last time He is making his way to Gethsemane through the Mount of Olives. 
And if you look at Matthew 24, 25, 26, this portion of Scripture is often referred to as the Olivet Discourses. The teaching that Christ gave to his disciples before going to the cross. And if you just keep your eyes fixed, if you have a Bible, it'll be good for you to look at that context. If we just go to the next one, please. Can we flick it up? That's great. Um, the Mount of Olives actually is a very important place. Because from the Mount of Olives to Gethsemane to Gabbatha to Calvary to the empty tomb... And after 40 days, back to the Mount of Olives in Acts chapter 1. And that's where Jesus took his disciples. And that's where the Lord Jesus was taken up from them back into heaven on a cloud. And do you remember what it says in Acts 1 verse 11? It says, they were looking intently into heaven as he ascended. And there were two angels with them. And the two angels said, why are you looking into heaven? Don't you know that this same Jesus will come again in like manner? And what I want to do is kind of think about this because as Jesus leaves the, the temple, the disciples ask him a question. Lord, don't you see the beautiful, in, in fact, I can't even describe the temple. If you think under Herod the Great, the temple had been renovated, restored, been made of marble, beautiful marble, gold, precious stones. Whenever the, the sun shone on it, it was dazzling. It was breathtaking. And here Jesus was walking out of the temple and it was as if he didn't, he wasn't even aware. The disciples said, Lord, they took him by the shoulder and said, Lord, can't you see the magnificence of this temple? And Jesus didn't say anything there. He went out to the Mount of Olives and he began to teach them. Now, we're dealing with prophecy. I want to just lay a foundation here. And it's very important, whether it's the Old Testament, the New Testament, that we think about prophecy very often as a prediction about the future. Very often that prophecy had an initial fulfillment. In other words, it was fulfilled shortly after the prophecy. Sometimes it was fulfilled a long time. And listen, sometimes it was fulfilled more than once. And when we get to Matthew 24, what I want us to realize is that there was an initial fulfillment of this prophecy in the year A.D. 70. Jesus said... This generation will not pass away until all the things that I'm going to tell you will be fulfilled. Not one stone of the temple will stand. We know that in A.D. 60 and 60s, under the reign of Claudius, there were famines, there were earthquakes. In fact, the towns of Colossae, Herapolis, Laodicea were totally devastated. 
We know at that time that the, the Nero came in and, and wrecked the temple. There wasn't one stone left in another. We know at that time that people fled across uh, the River Jordan to take refuge in the city of Pella. We know at, at that time that there were 97,000 young people who were massacred. We know at that time that in Jerusalem, if you read uh, the two great historians of that stage were Josephus and Tachycus. Uh, Josephus was a Jewish historian, Tacitus was a Roman historian, and Josephus tells us that over the, the city of Jerusalem there was this flaming sword. He tells us that for a year there was this comet, that there was such a bright light off it that midnight it was like the noonday sun. And on the day of Pentecost in that year, when the priests went to minister in the temple, they heard a voice saying, let us depart thence. So the initial fulfillment of what Jesus is saying to them was in A.D. 70. But also we know, the disciples said, when will these things happen? We also know that in Acts 1 verse 11 and 12, the disciples said to him, are you going at this time to restore the kingdom to Israel? We also know that there is a future fulfillment that Matthew 24 is referring to that time at the end of the ages, when Jesus will come again, what will be the sign, Lord, before you come again? This is a tremendous subject. And I'm going to say some things today, and perhaps you've studied it, and maybe we'll think slightly differently in some things. But I simply want to take the words of Jesus and ask the Holy Spirit to impact us I believe that we are living in a day when many Christians are alarmed at what's happening. I think that a lot of believers are not just alarmed, but they're, they're, they're rattled. Uh, there's a fear amongst many of God's people, whether it's because of the pandemic, coronavirus, whether it's because of the situation in the world. We see Mr. President Putin there on the edge of the Ukraine, because of what's happening in Yemen or Africa, and we look at starving children, whether it's because of political uncertainty where we live, whatever it is, many Christians are alarmed, they're rattled. And what I want to say is, God is in control. God is working to his timetable. His calendar is perfect. God never does anything too late and he does nothing too soon. And from the Lord Jesus ascended back into heaven, this period of time is known as the last days. Now we're in the latter end of the last days. But just in case we kind of think that, well, it's been 2,000 years since the Lord Jesus said he was coming back, we need to remind ourselves, as the Apostle Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, that a thousand years is like one day. That's it. Start talking to me. A thousand years is like a day. So it's only in spiritual time been two days since the Lord Jesus returned to heaven. And Jesus 
didn't tell them the exact time of his coming. And of course, we know why. Because if we knew the Lord Jesus was coming back in 2025, we'd probably be sitting there until 2024. And then we'd sort of get ready for his coming. So we don't know. It's the thief in the night. In fact, the Lord Jesus says in this chapter, not even the angels know, neither the Son of Man when he was on earth, even though he was the omniscient Son of God, he chose certain things not to know while he was on this earth. Now that's, he was never less than God. But there were things that Jesus submitted to his father while he was on this earth, his voluntary submission. And I believe that that was so we would live every day as if the Lord Jesus could come. Great Scottish preacher, uh, Robert Murray McShane, used to say to people, do you think that Jesus could come today? And of course, people would say, oh, I think not. And he would say to them, the Bible says, Jesus said, I come again when you think not. And I think for most people, for most believers, we believe in the doctrine of the second coming, but we do not, listen, live in the reality of the second coming. And I think that there are a lot of truths from the Bible that we honestly in our heads believe, but it doesn't impact how we actually live. And for some believers, they get fixated about the second coming. You know, every time you're in their company, that's the only thing they want to talk about. The second coming and what's happening in Gog and Magog and Russia and all the rest of it. They're fixated. And then there are other Christians and they simply say, well, that's too difficult a subject. We won't think about that. But listen, the Lord Jesus spoke often about his return. And if we take simply the teaching of Jesus and we allow the Spirit of God to impact that upon our hearts, I believe you and I will live very differently. And so whenever we go to Matthew 24, we simply want to sit with the Lord Jesus on the Mount of Olives with the disciples. I won't want to hear what he has to say. Could we have the next slide, please? Let's just look at what it's going to be like, Jesus said, before he comes again. There will be unprecedented suffering, sorrow, scaremongering, and supernatural phenomena. Now, those things are in every age, but as the time comes for the return of Jesus to this earth, those things will increase. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, verse 3, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. Can we have the next slide, please? Deception. In verse 4, 5, 11, and 24. One of the great evidences that the Lord Jesus is coming will be the increased activity of Satan. Now let me say that. Why was demonic activity so 
profuse when Jesus walked this earth. Because the Son of God, the light of the world, had come and darkness, darkness was arrayed against him. As the Lord Jesus Christ, as his coming approaches, what we will discover that the activity of Satan will increase. In John chapter 8, it says that Satan is the father of lies. He's a liar. And so one of the main weapons that he uses against the kingdom and against the king will be the weapon of deception. And Jesus said, this is going to happen. In verse 4, he says, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming, I'm the Messiah, will deceive many. Look at verse 11. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Look at verse 24. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, listen, if possible, even the elect. Wow, that's some statement. I want us to just pause, not just let that run over us. I had a friend, I've got a name up there, a friend who, who I was visiting and he said, look, I, I got this free Christian book. Would you look at it? I'd never heard of this writer called Paul Young. Maybe some of you have. It was a book on the Apostles' Creed. He said, there's something that just doesn't seemed quite right. He gave it to me. I went home. I started to read it. And immediately, though it was full of things that were true from the Scriptures, he believes that we are saved by water and the blood. In other words, baptism is necessary for our salvation. Now, what I'm saying is for a lot of Christians, I believe they could have read that and they said, this is great teaching. Do you know, I don't know whether you watch televangelists. I don't know whether you watch or listen to teachers. But if you do, be very careful. I think we are living in days when, whether it's the prosperity gospel, whether it's those who twist slightly the person and work of Christ, which Paul Young does, we are living in days whenever there are many false teachers and false prophets. And if ever there was a time when God says to his church, his own believing people, we need to be grounded in the word of God. We need, you know, people react from doctrine. But let me tell you, we need to understand what the Bible teaches about God and Jesus and salvation and the cross. We need to understand. If I was to say to you today, well, I just went into a shop and they told me that someone's passing false 50-euro notes and someone gave me a 50-euro note, I'd say thank you. But what I do is, the old way used to be you hold it up to the light to see if it had a watermark. Isn't that right? Now they've got machines, don't they run it over machines? And what I'm saying is whenever anyone comes, whatever teaching they bring, we need to hold that up to the light of Scripture. We need to test 
The Apostle John actually wrote a book about it, how people would really know that they're saved. And one of the things was there was a social test. You can't be saved if you don't love your brother. You can't say you love God that you've seen if you don't love your brother whom you have seen. There was the doctrinal test, 1 John chapter 4. If anyone doesn't bring the doctrine of Christ, don't even, in fact, in, in 2 John verse 10, it says, don't even welcome them into your house. And whether that's Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, whatever it is, whether it's some of the cults and sects and, and some of the groups that are rising up, I have some dealing with churches in Africa. And when I lived in Africa, I was converted in Africa. And when I lived in Africa, I saw all kinds of, of, of cults coming up. People who called themselves Christians, but they didn't really understand the doctrine of Christ. Is there ever a time whenever in this fellowship, you have so many opportunities to study God's Word, don't you? You know, you can go through the parables, Genesis about Jesus, your own home groups. We're going through the book of Romans in our home group at home, reading a chapter a week and just drinking in and allowing the truth of God to warm our hearts that we would worship in spirit and in truth. The devil is the great deceiver. 1 John 2 verse 18, where the apostle John lived to nearly the end of the first century. Remember he was on the Isle of Patmos and Eventually, the book of Revelation, the Holy Spirit came down and he had this revelation of the second coming of Christ, letters to the churches. But it's interesting. He doesn't say it's the last time. John says, children, it is the last hour. And have you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Many Antichrists. Now think of Antichrist. Whenever we think of Antichrist, we think of those who are against Christ. But the word in the Greek language is hooper. And it doesn't just mean against. The word means instead of. People come and they claim to be religious leaders. In fact, Jesus begins to teach about the abomination. I don't want to go too much into this. But the abomination of desolation. That in the last days, if you go through 2 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, the man of lawlessness, the book of Revelation, the beast. And I could just get you so confused. But we know simply to say this, that in the last days, there will be a great political religious leader who will demand that everyone in the world Worship him and serve him. The Antichrist. The person who will be in the place of Christ. And yet before that we know that there will be many Antichrists. People who will claim to be Messiahs. They will claim to have special insight. Have special revelations. They will make prophecies, they will, listen, they will perform miracles that Paul writing to Thessalonians says will be counterfeit miracles because Satan is powerful. Was there ever a time in which we needed to be grounded in the Word of God? Let's go on to the next one, deception. We'll go through these quite quickly. Wars, famines, earthquakes. Listen. 
Since the Second World War, the First World War was the war to end all wars. The Second World War came. Since the Second World War, someone has worked out that there have been over 75 major wars in the world. We are constantly living on the edge of a major war. And whether that's in Yemen, it's so far away, we're not aware of Saudi Arabia and Iran fighting over there. Whether it's in Ukraine, you've now got Russia and America and Britain. Loggerheads, knocking heads. That's, that's just part of a fallen world. Famine. Very often famine actually follows war, doesn't it? I had a, had a friend who was a missionary in Ethiopia at a time when the West were sending massive relief in, into Ethiopia. But you know that Ethiopia at that time was actually producing enough food to feed all its population, but was spending, listen, 80% of its gross national product to arm a Marxist government to persecute the church and then look to the West to feed its people. And even at the moment in Afghanistan, we're sending in from the West food into Afghanistan that the Taliban are, are using. Now, I'm not saying we, we do care and we do minister to those who are starving. Please don't misunderstand me. But what I'm saying is we've got to understand the world in which we live. Earthquakes. Seismologists tell us that 85% of all earthquakes have happened in the last 150 years. We've just seen, well, we've got storms at home, but we've just seen that terrible uh, tsunami. Tonga. Devastation. And then what we find is, brothers and sisters, the church today is speaking out against, this is where I get into trouble. You know, whenever you get to my age, you don't care. I don't care. But you've got the church today and they want to talk about climate change, gender equality. Do you know what the Bible says? I'm going to prefix, put a little thing on. This is my father's world. There was a hymn in America that was called that. This is my father's world. God created the heavens and the earth. We are here as his servants to be stewards. And I'm for recycling. I'm for lifting litter. I'm for fighting against pollution. But dear friends, the thing that really amazes me is here we have people who are evolutionists who talk about climate change and then they talk about ice ages that left great canyons and fossils. In other words, there's always been climate change. Now I know that we can contribute to that but it seems to me that we have forgotten. Listen, this is what the Bible teaches. Romans chapter 8 verse 22. That from the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, this world has actually been, and the picture that Paul gives to the Roman Christians, has been in travail. It's been in birth pains. Birth pains. It has actually been in the process of breaking up. This world is not going to last. And believers, while we're good stewards and we care for nature, 
We rejoice that one day there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Hallelujah. And the Bible says that's the home of righteousness. So whenever you're, whenever you're disillusioned because you discover that your rubbish has been burnt in Romania, it's not been recycled, or it's on some ship going to China, don't get too worried about it because God is in control and He knows exactly what He's doing and He knows that that time whenever the Lord Jesus comes, as the old hymn used to say, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. That's the day when Jesus is going to come and there'll be a new heaven and there'll be a new earth. And we are living, 2 Timothy chapter 3, in perilous times. We're living in days whenever there is increasing disobedience, when the love of many will grow cold because of the increase of darkness. That's what Jesus says here. Devastation and destruction. Let's go on to the next slide. And then, really incredible... Apostasy, what does that mean? Apostasy means a falling away. Departure from the faith. I've thought about this. Why is it that all these things, Jesus is actually saying here, if you look at persecution, um, in fact, that's one of the great things that's going to happen Persecution will increase. People will hate you. Verse 9, you will be handed over to be persecuted, put to death. You will be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith. Let me just tease this out just a little for, I think, uh, a blessing. I believe without doubt that one of the things that happens and is happening today, it happens in your life and mine, that suffering and an increase in, in, in persecution, Jesus is purifying his church. Jesus is sanctifying his people. The more we are under pressure the more it proves the genuineness of our faith. That's what Peter says. Though your faith for a little while, you have to suffer all kinds of trial. These have come so that your faith, more precious than gold which perishes, might be proved genuine and might redound in praise and honor and glory when Jesus Christ is revealed. So what Jesus is doing, he's weeding out in his church those who are filling pews those who are nominal, those who are lukewarm, those who are superficial, those who have temporary faith but not saving faith. And what he's doing, he's actually honing, he's actually polishing his precious saints for that moment when he will be revealed. I think that's an incredible truth for today. If you're going through a hard time at this moment, if you're suffering, whether it's your health, whether it's emotional, whether it's mental, whether you're going through spiritual turmoil, whether you have difficulty within your family, it's difficult unless 
I understand that through these things, you've been persecuted because you're a Christian. You're going through these things because Jesus is getting you ready for heaven. Jesus is dressing you with robes we're clothed with his righteousness, but he's dressing you with the righteousness of God, our works of service. So that, you know, whenever the Apostle Paul writing to the Philippians says, I fought the good fight, I finished, I've kept the faith, I finished the race, therefore there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the righteous Lord will give to all those who love and long for his appearing. I just think that there's something dynamic in actually living in the light of the second coming of Christ. That that's the hope. The hope is one day, 1 John chapter 3 says, when we see him, we shall be like him. Why? One day, this body, this vessel, this jar of clay will be transformed. And we will actually have a body like Jesus. No more hankies. You'll never need another hanky because there'll be no more tears, no more colds, no more flus. You'll not need a stick. You'll not need a mask. Wouldn't that be great? No medicines, no doctors, no hospitals, no pains, no aches. All be thrown in the bin. Whew. What a day. Glorious day that will be. And so there has to be a falling away. There has to be a purification. The Lord is constantly saying, those who endure to the end will be saved. And those who are saved will endure to the end. Those who are genuinely born again of the Spirit of God will grow in grace under their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go on to the next one. We've only just touched on this. There's a, a series in this. Darkness, verse 29. Supernatural happenings, global chaos, cosmic chaos. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give us light and the stars will fall. Now just think the God, the cosmic God who placed the stars in the universe. One day, those stars will be shaken, the heavens will be shaken. One day, the sun will not shine. The Lord Jesus will be our sun in the new heaven and the new earth. We don't need, we won't need the sun... We, so many of us expats, we come here because of the sun, don't we? Let's be honest, don't we? We love the sun. From dark and damp Ireland, we escape. But one day, the sun of righteousness, the Lord Jesus Christ, will shine forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. Let's go on to the last one. There are consequences. And I want to just take a moment. There are two consequences. Unexpected separation 
an unending salvation. Unexpected separation. If you look at verse 36 to 40, we don't have time to look at this, but when Jesus comes, there's going to be a separation. Two in the field, one taken, one left. Two walking along the road, one taken, one left. Those who know Christ will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and they will forever be with the Lord. But for those who aren't saved, listen, the day of grace will be over. The door of opportunity will be closed. Why is it that as believers we are constantly saying, God's time is always now. God's time is always now. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Why are we always saying today, if you hear his voice, don't put it off. Because the most dangerous day in your life will be the last day. The day when there will be no tomorrow. We don't say that simply because we find ourselves wanting to say that. We say that to warn you. We say that so that you don't procrastinate, put it off. You don't listen to the devil say, there'll be a better time, there'll be a better day, there'll be a better place. There's never a better place than now to get right with the Lord Jesus. Never. And if you're not even sure whether you're in the kingdom, whether you're a child of God, whether you've been born again, whether you've been brought into the family of God, then you make sure. I remember my mother, I was the first one converted in her family. Remember my mother, I said to her, you know, Mom, when did you become a Christian? And she paused and thought. And I said to you, you know, when people aren't sure, I always say to them, whenever I leave the house and I'm down the road, I'm getting worse at this now, did I lock the back door? I'm not sure. If I wasn't sure, what I would do is I would simply return and make sure I'd locked it. But I'd only do it once. And if there's anyone here this morning and simply you're not sure of heaven, you're not sure whether your sins are really forgiven, you've got the opportunity this morning, right now, to bow your head, to, to just open your heart, to confess your sins, to say, Lord, I want to submit to your lordship. I want you to be king, master, savior, and friend. And the moment you do that, lock the door. You thank the Lord for saving you, for forgiving you, for cleansing you, and for bringing you into his family. When we used to go camping, and it would be cold, you'd light the campfire. There was only one way to stay warm. That was to stay near the fire. All of us, however young or old we are, make sure that you're staying near the fire. The Holy Spirit, warming, leading, directing, teaching, guiding. Make sure that you don't grow cold. Stay close to other Christians. Stay in the Word of God. Stay in the place of prayer. And listen, stay telling others about Jesus because we haven't even touched this, but Jesus said whenever the gospel is preached to every nation, in fact, the word there in the Greek is, I think, ethnos. 
every ethnic group, when every ethnic group is reached with the gospel, Jesus will come again. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We just are so delighted to think today of the steadfast love of a gracious God. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you that the finished work of Calvary is real to us. We're living in the shadow of Calvary, Lord, because that work is finished. Holy Spirit, we love you because you are continuing to teach us, to lead us, and to make us more like Jesus. Today, Lord, this morning, right now, I pray that if there's anyone here not sure whether they're in Christ or not, that your Holy Spirit would bring them to that place right now, Lord, in their heart of just praying, Lord, I don't know where I am spiritually, but I want to be in Christ. I ask that you would forgive me and I believe that Jesus died for me and rose for me and lives for me and loves me. I come to you right now and receive you into my life, into my heart. I submit to you as my Lord, my Master. I acknowledge you as my Savior. Thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the ministry of the International Christian Assembly, a ministry of AMG Spain and AMG International. For more information, please visit our website at www.icatorrevieja.org. This audio file is not copyrighted.